Well, good morning, Gateway family. It's so good to be able to continue worshiping in our homes. Uh, Unfortunately, as the coronavirus trial continues, we are continuing to try to worship online in this form. Um, But we are hoping that getting into the month of June, we'll be able to see a plan come together to be able to resume worshiping in person continue to be on the lookout for updates from us. We're going to keep monitoring the situation and try to um, seek the Lord's wisdom for how we can best open back up and continue worshiping together. So hopefully um, at the start of June, you will receive some information about that plan. But in the meantime, we want you to continue connecting in relationships. We have a lot of small groups, Sunday school classes and the like meeting via Zoom to try to stay connected and stay in relationships. So please seek those out. Uh, look on the blog to see the posts that uh, list all those groups and how you can meet with them and join them to try to stay connected. And um, we need relationships. We need this community, even though we can't be together like we would desire and want to be. And before we get started in worship, I want to ask Drew to come up, and he's going to introduce the Gateway Seniors that are graduating. Thanks, Preston. Obviously, this year is a little bit different for all of us, and particularly our seniors, and many of them have had to forfeit opportunities that they would have looked forward to in terms of the celebrations that they were expecting for their senior year. But we're grateful as a congregation to be able to celebrate our seniors together this morning. And we always like to remind ourselves as we celebrate our seniors what an integral role that the ministry of this church plays in investing in these students. And so I'd like to thank each of you for the ways that you have prayed for these students, that you have cared for them, that you have given sacrificially for them to be able to participate in many events through their high school careers, and we want to recognize our six seniors together this morning. First of all, we have T.J. Broaden, and T.J. is graduating from LaGrange Academy. T.J.'s parents are Terrence and Betty. Secondly, we have Nathan Collins, and Nathan will be graduating this year from Ezekiel Academy. Nathan is the son of Robbie and Catherine Collins. Next is Haley Falcioni. Haley is also graduating from Ezekiel Academy, and her parents are CJ and Nikki Falcioni. Next would be Ellie Fox. Ellie is graduating this year from Eastwood Christian School, and her parents are William and Janie Fox. Next is Christiana Hammond, and Christiana is graduating this year from Booker T. Washington, and her dad is Philip Hannum. Finally is Carly Staup. Carly is graduating from Abeka Academy, and her parents are Mark and Mary Staup. And we want to congratulate all of our seniors. I'm so grateful to have had the privilege of being their youth pastor and for them to have been committed and invested and plugged in to our student ministry. And we all know that what has happened in their lives at home and through the ministry of this church and the ministries of their schools is just a foundation to prepare them. And we pray that the Lord would use this as a mighty launching pad uh, for the future that lies ahead of them. And I would ask that you would join me now as we pray for our seniors. Let's pray. 
Lord, we do thank you for our seniors, and we're grateful uh, to you for creating them in your image and for creating them with plans and purposes that you specifically know. And Lord, we are just looking to you and asking that you would lead them and guide them in this next season of their lives, Lord, whether it be in an educational career or a vocational career. Lord, we ask that you would give them wisdom and guidance, open doors, clarity, and opportunity. Lord, I pray for each of them that the single most important thing for them would be to hear from you and to act in response to your voice. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak, and we pray that they would hear you clearly, and then we pray that they would act in obedience to the things that you've created them to uh, do and the things that you have called them to. And we thank you for their families, and we thank you for the love that they have experienced from their families, and thank you for the ways that they have been exposed in their homes to the gospel. And, Lord, again, we thank you for this church and for the ways that they've been exposed to the gospel here. And, Lord, we entrust them to you, and we are excited about their futures, and we look forward to seeing how you will continue to grow them in Christ and prepare them for the things that lie ahead of them. And we are grateful for your faithfulness to them. We entrust them to your care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Drew. Well, as we prepare our hearts to worship, I want to read a scripture for you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's join together, church, as we're in our homes, and rejoice in God for his grace and thank him for the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives in us.
As we transition into a time of prayer, I want to read another scripture for us this morning from Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, 
the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place? What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, we praise you for how majestic you are, Lord. As your word says, your glory is as high as the heavens, Lord. There is no one else that can compare to you. God, we praise you for your power, your perfection. All your attributes are fully perfect and glorious. Lord, we we thank you that you have let us come to know you and to know your glory, to know your splendor and your beauty. And as we come to you to pray, Lord, we acknowledge our unworthiness in our own flesh, Lord. But we come on the basis of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, who shed his blood to bring us to you, Lord, to redeem us from our sins. We praise you for this. We pray with this in mind. We specifically want to lift up CJ to you this morning. Lord, CJ is loved by all of us at this church. He's such a faithful and dear brother and pastor to us. And we pray that as he tries to continue healing, that you would give him strength. You'd help his body um, adjust to his new medication, Lord. Lord, we also pray that you would help him not to be fearful. Lord, we know that um, there is just unknowns in all our bodies, Lord. Even sometimes when we think we're healthy and we think we're fine, we're actually not. There's things going on in our bodies we can't control and we don't know about, Lord. So we pray that in the midst of the unknown, that you would just be an anchor in CJ's heart and his soul, that he would rest and be content in you. Also, Lord, we want to continue to lift up our families at Gateway as they're struggling in this time just trying to make it, Lord, trying to hang on with the lack of community, Lord, with the isolation that can creep in during this time. Lord, we pray for fathers specifically, that they would grow in shepherding and leading their families, discipling their kids, loving their wives like Christ loved the church. We also just pray for parents to redeem the time, the extra time they may have in the midst of the coronavirus, Lord, that they would redeem that time with their kids to love them and care for them and spend time investing in their hearts and souls. We also pray for the marriages of Gateway, that you would guard us from the enemy's attacks to break apart and stretch our marriages and our husbands and wives away from each other. Instead, Lord, I pray that we would come to understand in new ways how marriage is a mystery of Christ and the church, that husbands would love their wives like Christ loved the church, and wives would love their husbands like the church loves and follows Christ. Lord, we continue to pray for the small groups at Gateway as they try to meet over Zoom. Lord, we know that your word is the reason why we continue to grow, even if it's coming across a video screen. Lord, we still can hear your word in our ears and it can plant in our hearts. We pray you would, we would be more open to the word and it would pierce us and transform us. We pray for relationships to remain strong and deepen, even though we can't see each other face to face as much. Lord, as we pray 
for your mission to spread across the world. We pray for particularly Helena and the school she oversees in India that Gateway is partnered with. We pray for provision for financial needs for the school and for the families there. Lord, we pray that they would have what they need to continue their work and the mission that's there, and that through the hardships that they face, that you would grow them spiritually to lean in on you in more dependence and more loving obedience. And Lord, as we do each week, we want to pray for a particular unreached people group, God. Lord, I just confess myself, Lord, how easy it is for me to not think about others that don't know you, Lord, that have never heard of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. And to that end, we want to pray for these people to come and know you, particularly the Ache group in China. This is a remote a people group in a remote part of southwest China, God, and there are no known believers there. Lord, they worship many gods, Lord, and we pray that they would become aware of just how they will never be able to restore the broken path that they think they need to repair to their gods that they worship. They cannot repair that path because those gods don't exist, Lord. I pray you would make them aware aware of the fact that they cannot achieve salvation on their own, God. And I pray that you would stir up your people, whether that's people that are Christians already in China or missionaries that will travel to China to bring the gospel to them. But I pray for particular people to have a burden on their heart for this specific group and that they would get scripture in their own language, Lord, because they do not have it at this time. And Lord, as we prepare to hear your word preached, Lord, we pray for you to continue to use the power of your word given to us in the scriptures to grow us and transform us into the image of Christ. As we study the book of James, we thank you for how the things that are oftentimes hard to hear are so often still so sweet and good for us because they do what needs to be done in our hearts to Take us away from the idols we worship and turn us to the one true God who can change us and who we should lovingly and joyfully obey. So we pray for Grady as he preaches. Lord, help us to hear and have ears to hear and not hear the word and then turn and walk away with no change, but instead actually receive it and obey it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. I want you to find James chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word, James chapter 2 this morning. While you're finding James 2, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been short-sighted in a decision you made? Have you ever been short-sighted in a decision you made? You did something and realized afterwards, if only I had thought through that more. Or you did something and you thought, if only I had taken time to think through the long-term ramifications of what just happened. Now, for all of us, I know we have. We've all made short-term decisions without thinking about the long-term consequences, and many of those have hurt us throughout our lives. So we continue through James's letter this morning. We come to a place where James is going to encourage us to think long-term, not just long-term for the next year or five years or ten years, but even longer than that, to the end of our lives, to the day that we stand before God and see Him face-to-face. He wants us to think about that type of long-term perspective. As we do so, he's going to show us how that will change our lives today. Now, friends, we come to the end of a section in James we've been looking at for the last four weeks. The verses we come to this morning in James chapter 2 are the final punch, the final part of an argument that James has been making for the last 13 verses. What's the issue he's addressing? Well, you know it well by now after our last several weeks. 
but this issue of favoritism, of partiality in the church, of favoring some people over others because of some external factor that we choose to use. It's the issue of cliques in the church. Now, it was an issue for believers when James wrote this. It's an issue for believers still today. And friends, we're realizing even in the midst of coronavirus, it's perhaps easier than ever to show partiality because we're not around certain people. It's easy for us to only reach out to people who are in our inner circle, to only reach out to people that we show partiality towards. And so today's text is once again a timely reminder for us. In this final section of James's argument about partiality, he wants us to think long-term to eternity and to help us live for God today with that long-term perspective. So as we read our verses this morning, I want you to look for what do we need to keep in view long-term to live for the Lord today? What is it we need to keep in view long-term to live for the Lord today? So be looking for that. We're going to look at James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 this morning. If you're able where you are from home, if you could stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, because we have such a precious treasure of God's revelation to us. James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Would you pray with me, friends? Father, we are so thankful once again that you've given us your word. And Lord, though we wish in our hearts we could be together in the same room studying it this morning, that we're so grateful that we still, through technology, can gather together from our homes and open your word and read it, and that your Holy Spirit can move in our hearts and lives and open your word to us. We pray you would do that this day, that your word would transform us and grow us and sanctify us, and you would do in our midst what you desire to do, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you. You may be seated. Now, the main idea of this text this morning, friends, is a challenge for us, and it's simply this. Live today as one who will receive mercy at the time of judgment. Live today as one who will receive mercy at the time of judgment. Now, that's a long-term perspective, isn't it? The time when we stand before God and see him face to face, when we stand before his judgment seat. And friends, if we keep that reality in view, if we keep that long-term perspective of what it'll be like to stand before God one day, it will revolutionize, it will transform how we live today. In particular, for us as followers of Christ, it'll transform us because it'll help us catch the big vision of the mercy that we have received from God and how it changes our lives now. Live today as one who will receive mercy at the time of judgment. Now, there's a lot to look at in this truth, so let's dig in and take a look at that this morning. The friends, the long-term view that we need to have is the reality that everyone will be judged by God, that everyone will be judged by God. There are no exceptions. This includes both believers and unbelievers. You see both in our text. We'll go deeper with this, but look here and just see what we, what we have before us here. Verse 12 describes judgment for believers. It says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Then verse 13 shows us judgment towards non-believers. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Well, this is showing us in James that everyone will stand before God to be judged, and it is very certain. Back in verse 12, it says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged. Now in the Greek, this phrase, are to be judged, communicates certainty. that This will certainly happen. It also communicates a sense of immediacy, that this is coming soon. It will not be too many days or years before all of us will stand before God. Friends, every human will stand before the sovereign, the almighty, the all-glorious creator himself. 
the same, we'll stand before the same God that we saw a few weeks ago in Isaiah 6, the one who has seraphim flying around his throne, and they're covering their feet and covering their face in the presence of his glory. That is the one that every human will have to stand before one day. In the words of Romans chapter 14, verse 12, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We'll have to stand before a holy God and give an account of ourselves to him. Now, what's the standard that will be used for us at that time of judgment? Well, it's what James showed us just a few weeks ago when we were looking at James chapter 2, verse 10. Just look back up a few verses. In James 2, 10, we saw, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. The standard that we're going to be used to judge against us is the Word of God. Everything that God has said. And as we saw a few weeks ago, the law was like a piece of glass. If we break one command, we shatter the whole glass because it's the revealed will of God. It's His words to us. It shows His character. It shows His sovereign right to rule. And so the standard that we will be held to is have we broken that piece of glass in any way? Have we broken any of the commands of God? As I was reading this week, one author said in a way that just really resonated with me. He said, we are going to be relentlessly and perfectly judged. Now, friends, let that sink in. We're going to be relentlessly judged, and we're going to be perfectly judged by the Holy One, by the Glorious One, by the Creator of all, by the Great I Am. We're going to be relentlessly and perfectly judged. Friends, that can be a terrifying thought that everyone has to give an answer to God for the way that we broke that glass, for the way we broke that law He gave, for how we picked and chose which parts of the law we wanted to follow and which parts we did not. And though we will have to stand before God guilty, all of us before Him, the way that judgment is going to look is going to be very different for a believer and for a non-believer. And James makes a huge contrast here for us. As we look at the difference here, I just want to remind us, every single one of us this morning is one of these two. There's no third way, no third option. One of us is, we're going to experience one of these two paths that James lays out for us here. Let's start with the judgment for the unbeliever. And by unbeliever, I mean anyone who's not trusting in Christ alone as their Lord and Savior. Anyone who does not love God as He has revealed Himself to be in Scripture. That can be anyone who outright rejects God. It can be anyone who just is busy with their life and loving the things of the world and just doesn't take time to think about God. But the great tragedy as well is it can be people who've never even heard of who He is. Like the Aceh people that we prayed for this morning. 42,000 people in a remote part of China who've never heard the name of Jesus. But yet, friends like us, they're guilty of breaking God's law. They're guilty of rejecting the revelation they have in creation. And so they will stand before God as an unbeliever, just like all those who've heard his word and rejected it as well. Regardless of the reason, all those who do not believe in Christ, look at the reality they will face. Verse number 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. It says, judgment is without mercy. That's simply a phrase that means strict justice. Just strict justice. Every sin getting its full punishment. That is an honest, truthful, and right punishment from God against any sin. And it says this strict justice, this justice without mercy, is going to be given to the person who has shown no mercy. We need to be really clear here about what James is saying, what he's not saying. When James talks about here this justice without mercy coming to those who have shown no mercy, he is not saying that we get to heaven by doing good things. He is not listing a criteria for how we get to God. What he is doing here is he is listing an evidence of a person who's forgiven. He's listing an example of how a life is changed when they experience God's grace. Now, if you were with us when we studied the Gospel of John several years ago, do you remember the definition we used 
of faith. Because this is really important, friends. Faith is not something just because we pray a prayer because we do external things. We define faith then from John's gospel as receiving a radical transformation from above. The faith is receiving from God a radical transformation. The whole point of that definition of faith was to remind us that true faith leads us to he- the true faith that leads us to heaven is a faith that changes us. The true faith that will lead us to heaven is a faith that God gives us that transforms who we are. And that's what James is trying to help us see right now. He's giving us one example of the way that true faith changes us. And no surprise example he picks is mercy because he's dealing with the topic of partiality and favoritism. He's showing us that if we have true saving faith in Christ, that God will be growing us. We call that sanctifying us. He'll be maturing us and helping us put off sin and put on Christ's likeness. He's going to lead us to a place where we show genuine love and care for other believers, even if they are very different than us. So the point James is making here in this verse is not to give us a criteria for salvation. What he's doing is giving us an evidence that we have received salvation. Friends, those who see no change in their lives deceive themselves. They think they are okay with God because they prayed a prayer, they joined a church or whatever else. If they have saving faith, it will lead to transformation. So James gives this sobering reminder, if your faith is not changing you, it is not real. And friends, those who are in that camp, many people who think they're okay with God will stand before God and they'll have a terrifying judgment here. So what Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And friends, that's a long-term perspective. That's a reality check for us. And friends, if you are in that camp, if you're in the group here that you do not have confidence that you know Christ and that he's giving you such a faith that it is changing you, I just want to encourage you and plead with you this morning to run to him, to cry out to him for mercy, to not go through life trying to get to God by your good works or going through life just doing your own thing, but to run to God and ask him to save you and to rescue you. Friends, there's a beautiful promise in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. And it simply says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Friends, if you do not have confidence that you have a faith in God that is real and transforming you, I want to encourage you to go read Romans 10, to go think about what God is offering and to cry out to Him to forgive you and to cry out to Him for Him to become your Lord, your boss, your master, to submit your life according to His plan. Those who do not follow Christ have this judgment without mercy, this strict judgment for their sin. There's a contrast here that James paints for us, and that's the judgment that comes to believers. And by believers, I mean those who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior and their Lord. Those who experience the grace of God and who are being changed by it. This long-term reality that believers have in view is very different. So what does judgment look like for believers? Well, there's two parts of it here, and I want to make sure we do not miss either aspect of it here, because James shows us both aspects. The first part of judgment that, J- that James shows us here is that of mercy. That God gives us mercy for our sins. Look at verse 13. And notice the last phrase of it. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, let's be clear what James is not saying here. James is not saying there's some type of universalism here that everyone's one day going to get the mercy of God. That's not what he's saying. He's just said in the previous part of verse 13 that there's going to be justice for those who have not been changed by God's grace. This phrase right here is a promise for believers 
Remember who James is writing to here. This is to give hope and encouragement to those who know they are in Christ, but who struggle still with sin. And friends, that is all of us. That when we stand before God at the judgment seat, we don't get condemnation. We get instead mercy. What is mercy, friends? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. What we deserve is judgment. What we deserve is punishment. What we deserve is condemnation. What we deserve is hell. But mercy is God looking upon us in our sin and forgiving that sin and freely rescuing us and making us his children and giving us his love and giving us his favor. And it says for a Christian here that mercy triumphs over judgment. The word triumphs means it prevails. It rejoices in a victory. So friends, how can God's mercy triumph when we deserve judgment. Well, God's judgment can't go away. His holy wrath against sin cannot go away. That's part of his good, righteous character. But the way it's possible for mercy to triumph is all the wrath that should be poured out on us for our sins, Christ took in our place. He perfectly obeyed the law. He never broke that piece of glass, used that image from last week. He perfectly obeyed the law and was able to go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice to take the wrath of a holy God that should be put on us. He took it in our place. So the punishment for our sins doesn't just get wiped away. Christ takes it for us so that for us, when the Father looks at us, not only does he see us forgiven of our sins, he sees Christ's righteousness being given to us. And therefore, mercy can triumph over judgment. But friends, there's something else important here, a second aspect of judgment that we need to realize Getting this type of mercy from God does not give us permission to live however we want. Because we're recipients of God's mercy does not mean I can go sin and do whatever I want to do. That's not what this is. The second aspect of judgment for believers that's so important is that we will give an account before God of our lives. Do you realize that? That we will still, even though we're recipients of mercy and salvation, that we don't have to fear condemnation, we will still stand before a holy God and give an account of our lives, to answer him of how we have followed him. Look at verse 12. This is written to believers of the judgment they will have. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Again, he's addressing believers here. We will still be judged. So what are we receiving? What type of judgment is this that we have here? Well, Paul gives us a little more insight into what James has in view here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. There Paul tells the people in Corinth, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what he is due for what he has done in the body, what he has done in this life, whether good or evil. We'll get even more insight on what that looks like if we go over to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 to 15, we get another glimpse of this judgment that believers will have, this accounting of our lives before a holy God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, it says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, will become evident. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So everything we've done in this life will be 
judged by God. We will give an account for it. And some of it is, will be burned up and some of it will last. This image right here of gold and silver and precious stones, the things that survive this accounting, this judgment, those represents the things we do by God's grace in Christ-like obedience to Him. Those things that last are the things we do by His grace in Christ-like obedience for Him. Friends, there's no condemnation for believers on that day, but there is an accounting of our lives. There's an accounting of our works, and it affects rewards for eternity in this. And that's what James is trying to help us see, the same thing that Paul is describing. Verse 12 again in James 2. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Notice that phrase, under the law of liberty. It literally means under a liberating law, under a law that gives freedom. Friends, how does the law bring freedom? Well, we already saw just a minute ago that God gives us freedom from the penalty of sin. We get mercy on that day of judgment. We don't have to fear condemnation. But friends, because of what Christ has done for us, we're not just free from the penalty of sin. We're also free from the power of sin. We're liberated from sin. And God's law, God's word shows us what his will is for us. And he gives us grace upon grace to grow us so that we can walk more and more with him. I love how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But notice this, friends. He says, But with the temptation, he, God, will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Friends, do you realize the hope that gives? That we're free not just from the penalty of sin, free not just from condemnation. We are free now, if we are in Christ, from the power of sin in our lives. That he has set us free, that we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer bound to obey the passions of sin. Friends, that's an amazing gift that God has given to us. That with every temptation we've ever faced, as a Christian, there's a way out. And friends, that amazing gift also comes with an amazing responsibility and accountability that we will give an accounting before God if we took those ways out that He and His kindness gave to us or if we chose the path of disobedience. Because God gives us grace and gives us strength to overcome, we have to give an account of whether or not we take that path that He gives us. So I'm going to go back to our opening question, friends. Are we thinking short-term or are we thinking long-term? Because if we're only thinking about the short-term and the here and now, sin becomes so alluring to us. Sin becomes so appealing and so good, and sin can seem so inconsequential because there's so many lies of the enemy that we hear. But friends, if we can think long-term to remember that we are recipients of mercy and there's no condemnation for us now in Christ Jesus, but if we can think long-term and realize as well that we will give an accounting before God because in His mercy and grace, He gives us a way out every time. Friends, that becomes a grace gift of God to help us live for Him today. And that's exactly what James is trying to help us see. Notice the first words of verse 12 that we're looking at this morning. He says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Speak and act. It's a pair of terms used in Scripture to refer to all that we do. And all that we do, James is calling us to live with this long-term view in sight. To remember that we will receive mercy on the day of judgment. And so he's saying, because you've received mercy, now today live like someone who is going to receive that mercy. Because you're forgiven by God, live today like someone who is loved by God. He's telling us as well that you now have a freedom-giving law, a liberating law to set you free from the power of sin. So live today like one who is set free from the power of sin in his or her life. He's telling us not just to live this way occasionally, not just on Sundays, not just when we're at church functions, but the Greek here for so speak and so act is a continuous tense. So speak and keep on speaking. 
So act and keep on acting as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We need to speak and keep on speaking and act and keep on acting as people who have and will continue to receive mercy from God, as people who will give an account before God and we're to live today in light of that reality. Live today, friends, as one who will receive mercy at the time of judgment. Now, friends, like I said at the beginning, all of us who are listening today are in one of these two groups. We're either believers who will find mercy and give an accounting before God, or we're unbelievers who will find that strict justice, that judgment without mercy. Now, if you're in the camp of the group of people who are not sure they're going to receive mercy from God, I've already given you a challenge, and I just want to reiterate that. Run to God and cry out to, for mercy from Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and ask Him to change your desires to where you love Him and where you want to walk with Him all of your days. Don't let another day pass where you're trying to live on your own. Cry out to the Lord for mercy and for forgiveness. But for followers of Christ, I want us to end today with a challenge for us. Friends, if we are to live today as one who will receive mercy at the time of judgment, I want to ask us a question. Is there some part of God's Word that we are resisting obedience in? Is there some part of God's word that we are resisting to obey? We all have sin struggles. Every single one of us does. First John makes it very clear to believers that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So friends, what is it for you? What's the area that you're struggling to obey God in? It can be many things. It can be unforgiveness. It can be bitterness. It can be our pride. It can be a temper. It can be hasty tongues. It can be our thought life. It can be sexual activity outside of the bond of marriage. It can be even how we take care of our families. It can be not pursuing our spouse with Christ-like love. It can be trying to gain emotional bonds with someone besides our spouse. It can be not shepherding our kids and discipling them and pointing them to Christ. It can be dishonesty. It can be deception. Friends, we can go on and on because there's a very real enemy who seeks to trip us up and deceive us. And there's a world around us that wants us to turn our backs on God and follow it. Friends, is there some part of God's word that you're choosing not to obey. Friends, I want to, if there is, I pray that this text and this reality will be a God's grace gift to us to help turn our mind away from the short-term perspective where we can justify those sins and try to excuse those sins and where those temptations seem so alluring to us and to turn our mind to eternity, to turn our mind to that day when we see our Savior face to face and realize that there's no condemnation for us in Christ. Friends, whatever it is, there's that stronghold for you. Whatever it is, is that area where you keep falling short. I want to encourage you, don't keep excusing it. That's what the enemy wants for you. But run to find the mercy of Christ. Run to him asking for his forgiveness. And he gives the amazing promise in 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But friends, as we think about that mercy we will receive when we stand before God one day, when we're not condemned for our sins, Let's not forget that same mercy of God gives us a strength to forsake those sins. And friends, our hearts so want to justify whatever we're doing. Our hearts so want to justify picking and choosing which part of God's law we're going to obey and which part we're not. But God gives us mercy and calls us to forsake those things and to rely on His grace to walk with Him. So friends, my challenge for me and for you this week is as the Holy Spirit who dwells within us shows us blind spots, shows us areas of sin, shows us things that we are doing that displease God, May we be a people this week who quickly run and cry out for God's forgiveness and God's mercy. But may we be a people who don't just stop there, but cry out to God to free us from that, to appropriate the grace that he has given to us so that we see the way out, as we read earlier. 
And friends, I just want to encourage you, the best way to find freedom from those sin strongholds is as we pray, as we get into community. Don't let the isolation of coronavirus keep us trying to fight sin on our own. Let me encourage you, reach out to brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I need you to pray for me. Would you hold me accountable in this? Feel free to reach out to any of our elders and just say, I need you to pray for me. I have this area in my life where I'm picking and choosing from God's word. Friends, God's mercy is being given to us. Let's live today like a people who will receive mercy at the judgment day before God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, thank you seems so inadequate to realize how much we have offended you and how day by day we continue to sin against you. And knowing all that, you freely chose not only to make us, but to redeem us and to rescue us. We thank you that the Lord Jesus was willing to go to the cross and take the holy wrath that we should have experienced, that he took it in our place. Or may we not trivialize what Christ has done on our behalf. Lord, we pray for much grace to realize not only that our standing before you is one who's forgiven, but we ask for much grace to practically live that out. And so, Lord, in my life and the life of these precious brothers and sisters, if there's blind spots where there's sin that we're not even realizing, if there's strongholds that we're aware of that we've been excusing or justifying, God, would you give us and your love for us such mercy and grace this week that we quit excusing our sin, we quit trying to just explain away as that's who I am, but God, we would find fresh mercies for today, not just to know we're forgiven, but mercies for today to turn our eyes to eternity, that we might walk with you and find strength today to find that way out. And we thank you for giving that to us, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning, friends? Your love
Father, what a precious truth it is to know that you have redeemed us. You have rescued us from our sin, that you've rescued us from the penalty of the sin, but you've rescued us and are rescued us from the power of sin. Lord, I pray that truth would be precious in my heart and the heart of these friends all this week, that your Holy Spirit will remind us of this truth of who we are in Christ, that your Holy Spirit will remind us of how we stand before you, that we stand as recipients of your mercy, that we stand forgiven. And God, we ask for grace upon grace upon grace, that more and more, Lord, we can live like a redeemed people, a people who are anchored on Christ, the rock of our salvation. We pray that as we do so, as you give us the grace for that, Lord, we pray that we'll find great joy and you'll get all the glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.